This episode is brought to you by Asperion, the lipid management company, singularly focused on lipid management for everybody. We won't stop until every patient reaches their LDLC goal. Learn more at Asperion.com. From the American College of Cardiology, this is Dr. Kim Eagle, ACC.org Editor-in-Chief, with this week's Eagle's Eye View. This is your weekly cardiovascular update from ACC.org. On the heels of the ESC meeting, I thought I might go over a couple of the guidelines that were presented there. The last couple of weeks, we focused on major clinical trials that were reported and published around the timing of the meeting, but also there were five European guidelines released at the meeting that contain, I think, important points for us in our practice. And of course, these generally incorporate data from clinical trials or very large observational studies that can inform our practices. Today, I thought I'd go over two of them. One of them is the 2019 uh, ESCERS guidelines for the diagnosis and management of acute pulmonary embolism. And the other is the 2019 ESC guidelines for the management of patients with supraventricular tachycardia. So let's start off with pulmonary embolism. The guideline recommends that D-dimer cutoffs should now be adjusted to age and pretest probability rather than fixed values based on further knowledge of how D-dimer interacts with age and gender. Also, the terminology such as provoked or unprovoked PE or venous thromboembolism is no longer supported by the guidelines. Instead, they offer the term like reversible risk factor versus any persistent risk factor or no identifiable risk factor. The guideline offers a revised risk-adjusted management algorithm, which is proposed to account for clinical severity, RV dysfunction, and other comorbidities with an emphasis on the multidisciplinary teams and early PE risk stratification. Hemodynamic instability is now more clearly defined as the presence of cardiac arrest, needing resuscitation, or obstructive shock or persistent hypotension not caused by anything else. Rescue IV thrombolysis is now a class 1 recommendation, previously a 2A, and interventional thrombus removal using a catheter is now a 2A, previously a 2B recommendation in patients with uh, hemodynamic deterioration. Direct oral anticoagulants are now recommended as first choice anticoagulants over warfarin, even in patients who are warfarin eligible. The guideline notes a cautionary tale for a reduced dose of apixaban or rivaroxaban when extended anticoagulation is being considered beyond the first six months of therapy. Edoxaban or rivaroxaban should be considered as an alternative to low molecular weight heparin in patients with cancer, but with some caution for patients who have gastrointestinal cancer due to the increased risks of bleeding with DOAX there. The guideline does propose a dedicated diagnostic algorithm for suspected PE in pregnancy using a D-dimer and other clinical prediction rules to rule this out is a 2A recommendation. And of course, DOACs are not recommended in pregnancy. That's a class three. Routine follow-up with an integrated patient, inpatient, outpatient care delivery model for three to six months after a PE is now recommended in patients with symptomatic PE, including patients with a mismatched perfusion defect for more than three months. Patients might be referred to a CTEP center for consideration of further therapy in that circumstance. This is an excellent guideline. I think uh, I've highlighted 10 points that are very relevant to our practice and hopefully will be of value to you. So let me now talk 
about the new guideline for SVT. The last uh, guideline published by ESC for this purpose was 16 years ago. So there have been a lot of changes, and the guideline reflects that. So let's start. First of all, amiodarone and digoxin are no longer even mentioned in the new guideline for the acute management of narrow complex tachycardia. And both sotalol and lidocaine have been removed from the acute management of wide complex tachycardia algorithm. Verapamil and diltiazem and catheter ablation are no longer recommended for inappropriate sinus tachycardia. Rather, ivabradine alone or beta blocker alone or both are now considered the class 2A indication for treatment in symptomatic patients. Lots of changes in the suggestions for managing focal atrial tachycardia. Procainamide, sotalol, digoxin are no longer recommended for this. Amiodarone, sotalol, and disopyramide are not recommended for suppression of focal atrial tachycardia. Catheter ablation is recommended for recurrent focal atrial tachycardia, especially if it's incessant or is thought to be causing a cardiomyopathy. Beta blockers should be considered for recurrent focal atrial tachycardia or flutter, particularly if ablation is not possible or successful. Multifocal atrial tachycardia, we see some, and the class one recommendation is treat the underlying condition, like uh, exacerbation of COPD, for example. Verapamil, diltiazem, or a selective beta blocker would be a class 2A indication. AV nodal ablation followed by VIBE or his bundle pacing should be considered in patients who have left ventricular dysfunction due to recurrent multifocal atrial tachycardia refractory to drug therapy. That's a class 2. For the management of atrial flutter, lots of changes. Dofetilide, sotalol, flecainide, propafenone, procainamide, quinidine, disopyramide are no longer recommended for chronic management of atrial flutter in the new guidelines. This, of course, reflects the uh, efficacy and safety of ablation. Patients with atrial flutter without atrial fibrillation should be considered for anticoagulation, but the threshold for initiation is not yet firmly established. In all reentrant and most focal arrhythmias, catheter ablation should be offered as the initial choice to patients after explaining, of course, the potential risks and benefits. In post-AF ablation, atrial tachycardia is either focal or macro reentrant. Ablation should be deferred for more than three months after the AF ablation when it's possible. Obviously, some of these rhythms die down after the initial inflammation has settled. Uh, multiple drugs have been removed from both acute and chronic management of AV nodal reentrant tachycardia. Verapamil, diltiazem, and beta block remain as options for the management of AV NRT, but they were downgraded from class 1 to 2A with ablation taking center stage. Catheter ablation is recommended in asymptomatic patients in whom EP testing with provocation identifies concerning types of WPW, particularly for rapid AFib. Digoxin, beta blockers, diltiazem, verapamil, and amiodarone are not recommended and are potentially harmful in patients with pre-excitation. In terms of uh, SVT in pregnant women, sotalol, propranolol, quinidine, procainamide are no longer used in the updated guidelines. During the first trimester, it is recommended that every effort be maintained to not use any antiolytic drugs. Beta-1 selective blockers, except atenolol or verapamil, should be considered for prevention of SVT in patients without WPW. Flecainide or propafenone should be considered for patients with SVT, with WPW, and without ischemic structural heart disease. 
SVTs have been reported as a risk factor for sudden death, cardiac death in patients with adult congenital heart disease. In uh, these patients, anticoagulation for focal atrial tachycardia or flutter probably should be similar to our algorithms for atrial fibrillation. Catheter ablation may be useful in experience-centered. Sotalol is not recommended as a first-line antiarrhythmic drug due to its proarrhythmic properties. In postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, POTS, regular and progressive exercise program is suggested as a 2A indication. Also, 2 to 3 liters of water per day, 10 to 12 grams of sodium chloride every day, and then selective use of midodrine, low-dose non-selective beta blockers, pyrostigmine, or ivabradine can be considered. Those are all class 2B. So obviously, when there's 16 years between guidelines, lots of changes. And of course, the emergence of atrial arrhythmia ablation as the center stage strategy for truly symptomatic patients is now the cornerstone of treatment. So these are just two important guideline updates that I wanted to bring you today, one for pulmonary embolism, the other for SVT. I want to thank you to, for listening to Eagle's Eye View. I brought this to you on the morning of uh, September 8th. 2019. We always try to give you important updates from acc.org, and you can find these key points to remember online on our website. Also find a new educational catalog there located under education and meetings, and you can use this tool to sort our educational offerings by various formats, and of course, most of these are free. Feel free to find us online or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next week, I hope you have a good one. Thank you.